My name is Nick Adams. Uh, I am family ministries pastor. I am not normally up here. I'm normally playing with kids or helping Trudy or uh, doing other things. But uh, it is always a privilege to be able to, just like the song says, to uh, tell you my story because of him. And uh, it's always a privilege to share God's word and, and how much he loves you. And um, we've been here at the gathering, we've been going through the Bible uh, since the beginning of the year. Bible in a year um, started in Genesis in January, and now we're in Job. And uh, if you know anything about the book of Job, um, a lot of people, have you ever heard anybody say the patience of Job? Man, you got the patience of Job. Well, if you read the whole book, Job won't, don't seem to be really that patient, does he? Uh, he might have had some endurance, uh, but he complained a lot. Um, well, today we are in the last three chapters of the book of Job, mainly focusing on chapter 40. And the uh, title of the message this morning is, is God Said It, Are You God? Now, if somebody asks you, are you God, you're, you're not going to say yes, are you? But whether we like to admit it or not, we like to be our own gods, right? We like to be in control. We like to be able to pick and choose what we do and when we do it. So isn't that playing God in a way? You don't think about it like that all the time, but most of the time you want to do what you want to do and you just want to add God to it because at church... For some reason, you get taught and, and hear and kind of misinterpret that because if you come to church and tithe and serve, that you'll get blessings, right? And so you just want to kind of add God to your life for the blessings. But you make God your life. It's not just adding them to your life. And, uh, you know, funny thing about Job, before we get into the the text here is at the beginning of Job, you know, Job was, a, it says Job was a righteous man. And that Job had a lot of stuff, had a lot of money, land, cows, sheep, all the stuff. Had kids, had a family. He, even, he was so righteous, he even made sacrifices for his kids. But guess what? God don't care so much about your sacrifices physical sacrifices what God don't care so much about your servant as he does your heart and your posture toward him so what happens everybody knows the story right devil there's I guess there's some kind of hearing uh up in the heavens and the devil comes up and asks God about Job and Job said God said Job is my you know faithful servant and devil says the only reason he's faithful is because you bless him and um, the devil asked to test him. Something I find great comfort in, in in that that a lot of times you miss is the devil had to get permission from God to be able to test Job. So that just tells you devil's position is beneath God. So just always remember that. The devil had to get permission. So when you're going through something, when you're being tested, when you're facing something you've never faced before, just remember that. Remember Job. And not because Job was patient. It shouldn't be called, I don't think it should be called the patience of Job. It should be called the mercy of God. Because God was merciful. What does mercy mean? Not getting what you deserve. Right? 
Just think about that as we go through this this morning. Before I go any further and get any more carried away, let's pray. God, thank you for a new day. Help us to never take them for granted and remember that they are a gift, and that's why they're called the present. Help us to be present this morning with you, and uh, help us just to lay down whatever we brought in here with us. And uh, dear Lord, I pray that you would get me out of the way of whatever you want to say and do today and just help me remember who you are. And uh, dear Lord, I just pray that whoever hears uh, is hearing this, dear Lord, that uh, they would just receive what you have to say and have the faith to know that when they step out that you'll meet them there and whatever that means. Uh, thank you for just this time we get to spend together and spend with you. We love you. Amen. All right, so Job chapter 40. Uh, let, me, let me give you a little, if you haven't been reading the Bible through in a year with us, um, at this point in the book, so the devil tests Job. Job has the uh, trials, if you will. Uh, in one day, his house gets took up, killed his kids. I think with it, like before one messenger could come and tell him something terrible happened, by the time he, that messenger was leaving, another one was coming to tell him something else had happened. So it was a terrible day. Well, his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job doesn't, and Job remains faithful. And the devil said, yeah, but I haven't really tested him. You know, I haven't really personally, physically afflicted him. So comes back again, gets boils and scabs all over his skin. And so then he's sitting on a pile of ashes, scratching his scabs, complaining, right? Three friends come and start to try to, well, let's, you know, at first they just sit there in silence, which says something to me, like, you know, to have the respect that when somebody, you know, when somebody's going through something, when a loved one dies, when you hear you got cancer, when whatever, for somebody just to come and sit with you means something. A lot of times there's nothing you can say that would fix it. And they don't want you to fix it. They just want to know somebody is with them. I always love that part in there where it says they just came and sat for a long time. Didn't even say nothing. But then human nature, you know, we got to be in control. we got to figure things out. They start to talk to Job about, well, you know, I wonder why you're in the predicament you're in. Maybe it's because you've sinned or this or that. And so there's these three guys and they respond to Job, and Job responds to them, and keeps going on and on and on, and then Job is finally like, you know, if I could talk to God, I would. I wish I could talk to God. I wish he would come here and answer me and tell me why, and right before that, a young fellow named Elihu comes and responds and reminds Job of who God is and God's power and God's faithfulness and God's mercy. And guess what? It says he was a young man. Me being a, a younger man myself loves that part because how often do you, just because somebody is old in age does not mean they're wise. Does not mean they're faithful. Does not mean they're an elder. Just because age 
doesn't have everything to do with wisdom. Even though we were taught, you know, you respect your elders. I'm not saying disrespect people. I'm just saying you can be 70 years old and still be a big fat baby. Spiritually. If, only, if, for, if for 40 years of your life you have done nothing but come and sit in a seat on Sunday, would you call that discernment, wisdom, faith? I wouldn't either. So just, and then, you know, anytime I, most, unfortunately I encounter this more than I'd, I'd like to, but anytime I give anybody some advice, especially if they're much older than me, I always get this look like, yeah, that sounds kind of right, but because it's coming from you, I don't want to hear it. Elihu was probably, the, he, was, he was my favorite one because he, he speaks the most truth, but even though what Elihu's saying is true, it's not complete. Well, then the Lord comes and challenges Job. He finally comes and talks to him. And when he talks to him, he, he really talks to him. And uh, in chapter 39, here, just, here's just a couple of challenges that the Lord challenges Job with when he finally responds to him. Do you know when mountain goats give birth? Have you watched as the wild deer are born? Do you know how many months they carry their young? Are you aware of the time of their delivery they crouch down to give birth to their young and deliver their offspring and they grow up in open fields and they leave their parents and never turn. Who makes a wild donkey wild? Y'all know that stuff? No. So he goes on and on and on with these what seem like absurd questions. And um, here we are in chapter 40. Chapter 40, verse 1 says, I'm going to read, I'm going to read all 1 through 9, and then, then we're going to go back and break them down, okay? Chapter 40, verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to Job, Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? Then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will put my hand over my mouth in silence. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. The Lord challenges Job again in verse 6 and says, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Brace yourself because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Are you going to discredit my justice and condemn me so you, so you can say that you are right? Are you as strong as God, and can you thunder with a voice like his? How many times have you wanted to confront God? because of your circumstances. Nothing wrong with confronting God, by the way. But verse, first and second verse, God tells them all these, you know, the ostrich flaps her wings grandly, they're no match for the feathers of the stork. And do you give it a, a locust the ability to leap forward? And what seems sarcastic, when you read that, when, if somebody, if I came up to you and said, do you know who gives the ability to make a locust leap forward? 
it would seem kind of absurd, right? It seemed a little sarcastic. So when you read this on the surface, all these challenges the Lord is challenging Job with, it's like, God, are you just like, are you being mean? Are you, are you talking crap to Job? Are you trying to put him in his place? It's not that at all. If you think about who God is, and if you view God rightly and where he sits, think about the patience and love and mercy of God to be able to handle Job in such a way to get him where he needs to be. We're going to see that in just a second. The Lord said to Job, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? What I think, how many of you know what an armchair quarterback is? In a couple months, about every Sunday afternoon and Monday night, I'm sure some of you will, will be the best ones there is, ain't it? I wouldn't have threw that pass over there. You should have dropped back five steps instead of three. I'd have rolled out here. It's easy to say that when you ain't in the game, right? How many of you got a passenger seat driver? How many of you got a wife? How many of you got a passenger seat driver? And I, to disclaimer, I've already talked to my wife about this, so I don't think she'll be mad at me. And if she is, you know, then we'll have something to make up of. Have, how many of you know who Tim Hawkins is? He's a Christian comedian. He does a thing about his helper in the car. When you leave here, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just on YouTube, look up Tim Hawkins' helper in the car. My helper in the car lets me know what the speed limit is. My helper in the car lets me know when the light turns green. It's funny, and you might relate to some of it, but that's pretty much us and God. When something don't go your way, well, God, why'd you do it like that? I wouldn't have done it that way, God. God, I, or how, how often how, how, if you prayed for something and God answered a prayer and then you complained about it? God, please let me get this job. I'd do anything to have this job. Lord, please help me to move to the beach. I'd do anything to move to the beach. And you're here or you got the job and now you're complaining because you got to work or you're complaining because there's traffic or... <laughs> huh? You're at the beach. You know, people spend thousands upon thousands of dollars to come here once a year, and it's right across the road. I think, you know, it's here at the beach, it's more of a laid-back culture. As you can tell, I got on shorts up here preaching. And I'm sure somebody's got something to say about it, but don't be hung up on the rules, okay? Don't be hung up on your righteousness. That's, that's part of what this message is about. Are you God's critic? Whether you like to admit it or not, at some point you are. Because he ain't doing things the way you would do them. How often do you get so caught up in your circumstances that you carry this subtle belief that God has wronged me or that God is unjust? Which is, it, which is just another way of saying I would make a better God than God. As I said earlier, Elihu, who was that young reminder of who God is and his power and, 
and and all of that. Suffering is a way that God uses to teach us and to discipline us and to refine us, which is all true, but that's not complete. God's view of suffering is that suffering causes us to trust God for who He is and not what He does. Which in turn does what? Gives you a closer relationship. Do you love your wife just because she cooks you suffer? Do you love... Are you in a relationship just because of what they do? Or do you love that person for who they are? And I promise you, you're going to be going in a vicious circle if you just love people for what they do for you. Because they're, you're setting them up for failure. I used to do this. It took me a long time to figure it out. But I, part of my happiness relied on my wife's happiness. So if my wife wasn't in a good mood or my wife wasn't happy or my wife wasn't doing what I what seemed like I thought she should be doing, I wasn't happy. Well, I'm setting her up for failure. Because the only person that can do that is God. Suffering causes us to trust God for who He is, not what He does. That's what love is. Don't be an armchair quarterback. Verses 4 and 5. I am, Job replied to the Lord, finally. I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? How could I ever answer any of them questions? Because they're crazy. I will cover my mouth with my hand. I've said too much already. I have nothing more to say. Job realizes what he is. He's nothing. In Job 34, verses 14 and 15, it says, If God were to take back his spirit and withdraw his breath, all life would cease and humanity would turn again to dust. Do you realize what you came from? You were made from dirt. And that without God breathing life into you, you would just be a bunch of dust. Now that isn't made to make you feel shame or feel that you are unworthy. It's made to make you realize your place and God's place. Because like I said earlier, what do we, we just want to add God to our life, right? For the benefits and the blessings and prayer requests, you know. James 1.19, I feel like James must have read the book of Job because, and learned a little bit because James said, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I say it all the time because I'm guilty of it all the time. If we spent more time acting and loving and doing, we wouldn't have to spend as much time talking. I wouldn't have to spend as much time up here talking. Anybody wouldn't. <clears throat> we don't have to convince people all the time by what you say. Do it by what you do and how you act and how you love. Proverbs ten nineteen, which 
comes from Solomon, the wisest feller that ever lived. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. I think that's probably why Job put his hand over his mouth because he realized he had said too much. Later on in chapter 42, so when Job says, I have said too much and puts his hand over his mouth, the Lord begins to challenge him again, saying some stuff he can't answer. Talking about hippopotamuses and do you catch crocodiles and all kind of crazy stuff. Well, Job finally replies again in chapter 42. And uh, Job says in his reply, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You ask, who is it that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I didn't understand, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. I had heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said. And I sit in the dust in dust and ashes to show my repentance. In 42.6, in the, I read out a New Living Translation. What I love about New Living Translation is it makes it simple enough that I can understand. But when it puts something in there that's thought for thought instead of word for word, it'll put an asterisk beside it, which lets me know I need to go look it up because there's something more in here. I take back everything I said. There's an asterisk beside that in my Bible. Other translations like King James, CSB, whatever, some other translations say, I abhor myself. I despise myself. What does it mean to despise? Have you ever despised yourself or despised somebody? Maybe how they treated you? It's funny, <clears throat> if you look up the Hebrew word for abhor or despise, the way you pronounce it in English is the Hebrew word for despise is M-A-A-C. And the way you say it in English is ma'as. Which sounds like something we don't say all the time, right? Especially in church. But it's funny, if you take that pronunciation and say it in English, it sounds like Job is saying, I'm sorry, I made an ass of myself. How often do we do that? If you go a little deeper, that word, M-A-A-C, in Hebrew means not only I take, not only do I take back what I said, I reject, I reject it, I withdraw myself from it. The tone of that word carries more about humility than shame. What do you do when what does humility mean? To make low, right? I withdraw myself. I'm getting out of your way, God. Shame feels like an accusation about who you are as a person, someone undeserving of love. And humility is rightly viewing who you are 
as a person who is loved despite being undeserving, which is mercy, right? Not getting what you deserve. Humility is that fine line between beating yourself up and building yourself up. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I got this road on the wall in my garage. You know why? Because I constantly build myself up or beat myself up. And I have to remember, make yourself low and let God worry about making you high. Okay? To make low, to withdraw myself from, to get out of the way. I have to tell you the story because every time I say say that, I um, I think about it. Uh, how many of you got a life verse? You got a verse that you've memorized that hits you like a ton of bricks that just just speaks to my life. Anybody? Yeah, life verse. You should get one because you'll hang on to it when when things get rough, and I promise you it'll get rough. My life verse is Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3. Because at a time in my life, I'll just be honest with you. you, you you're just, we're just a bunch of dust, right? We're nothing. You got to understand that we are all terrible people. I've done terrible things, thought terrible thoughts, and the only reason I'm standing here today is because of God. The only reason I do anything right, the only righteousness in me is because of God. The only goodness in you is God. That's what righteousness is. Well, you know, Job, it's, it kind of seems unfair. Job, this righteous man doing all the right things, making all the right sacrifices, gets punished. And that's when you start to think God has done me wrong. God is unjust. I go to Sunday school. I give 10% and offer more. I come to church every Sunday. I serve at Share the Table. I go on missions with Jordan. I cook pancakes and bacon and sausage. God, why are you doing this to me? Right? It's not about your right acts. Your righteousness is because of the only righteous one. Don't get hung up on your righteousness. I think Elihu even says in one of those chapters before 40, something about, um, let me see if I can find it. Something about righteousness. I can't remember, and I didn't write it down, but more or less, don't get hung up on your righteousness. That Job, that maybe, oh, I got you now. Maybe God put Job through this to keep him close, to keep him from going astray, to keep him from doing something he knew that he shouldn't have done or wouldn't do. Maybe, what happens when you're in a trial? What happens when you're in a valley? You're on your knees more, ain't you? 
You're praying more. You're talking to God more. So you should be praising God for those times. Because what happens when you get a victory and you celebrate? Most of the time a fall comes right after that, don't it? Because why? Because you lift yourself up and build yourself up and think, good Lord, look how righteous I am. Look at what I did. Oh no, they're already cutting me off. I ain't even halfway. It's too good not to tell. Uh, make a long story short about my life verse. Sorry, I kind of got off track. Um, Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3. I don't have it memorized word for word, and I ain't going to look it up. It says something more along the lines of, when you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through fire, it won't consume you, for I am the Lord your God. The reason that is, I hang on to that verse is because at a time in my life when I was doing terrible things and hanging out with terrible people and treating people terribly, God showed up, and I didn't deserve any of it. And the only, the reason I got to that verse is because I had realized if I keep living the way I'm living, I'm either going to die or go to jail, more than likely. I'm going to lose my wife, and then I'm going to have to drink more or do more drugs to not have to think about it, so just seems like a lose-lose situation. So I'm a pretty logical person, and I weigh things out that way. So I started praying. I said, God, what do you want me to do? I can't seem to get out of my own way. I keep going back to the same old things that I know that don't satisfy me and fulfill me. After saying that and asking that question, I don't know what it felt like for an hour, laying there in bed, um, I know, just, not this Bible, but a Bible similar to it was laying on my nightstand, and it was more of an ornament than a tool. It was a decoration, if I'm being honest. And so I opened it, and I opened it about halfway, and I landed on Isaiah 43, and at the top of the page, I will, when you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up in the flames, will not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So I thought to myself, well, God, you must be telling me, you know, you're going to work this out and, and you got this. And so I started asking, what does that mean? I don't even know. The only thing he kept saying to me was, Nick, I got something bigger planned for you if you'll just get out of the way. What God is saying to Job, what God is saying to me, what God is saying to you is just get out of the way and let me do what I do. How many of you are in your own way? All the time. And you think by coming in, sitting in here and checking that box or maybe getting on the Bible app and checking them boxes that you read those chapters or serving or what you think that that is what puts me in right standing with God. God doesn't necessarily care about all that. Yeah, he wants your obedience and your faithfulness, but the only thing he wants first is just you. And I promise if you 
make yourself low and get yourself out of the way, that he'll meet you where you're at. You think you don't know what, what he's done or what, you think you don't know what you've done? You think he doesn't know what you have done, what you think? You think he doesn't know how much of a terrible person you are? He still loves you. He still has mercy for you. He will still ask you, can you catch crocodiles? And do you know about flamingos and hippopotamuses and all kind of stuff? Just to get you to submit. He don't need you to submit. You know God doesn't need us. But he loves us enough to almost Jedi mind trick us to, to get us to where we need to be. Because he knows you think, do you think you know as much as God? Are you God? The title of the message. Are you God? No. Well, stop trying to act like it. Get out of your way. Last thing I'll say. In Job 42, verse 3, he says, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I did not understand, things far too wonderful for me. Don't spend all your time trying to figure God out. And don't value your righteous acts. That's what he's saying to Job. If you quit, it's almost like God is saying, if you would stop worrying about, if you can't even understand physical nature, if you can't even understand how I've created physical things, how can you begin to understand my character and my will? And it's funny, I think Jesus in John chapter 3 mentions the same thing. When he's talking to Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 12. I'm going to read it right quick and I promise we'll be done. Jesus said, I assure you, unless you are born again, you can never see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, asked Nicodemus? How can an old man get back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, the truth is, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives new life from heaven. So don't be surprised at my statement that you must be born again, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people were born of the Spirit. What do you mean, asked Nicodemus? Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, I am telling you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe us. But if you don't even believe me when I tell you about things that happen here on earth, how can you possibly believe if I tell you what is going on in heaven? What does that tell you? It don't make sense not to put your faith in God. If you can't even understand physical things, how can you begin to understand spiritual things without God? Do you love God for who He is or just what He does? Is your faith in your righteousness or in the righteous one? The only righteous one. I am humbled and thank God every day that he doesn't treat me the way I treat him.
One more verse and I'll pray. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, We are all infected and impure with sin, and when we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Paul in Philippians 3, 8 says, Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. We're just a bunch of dust. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for bringing me this far. For loving me enough to help me to see that I am nothing. And that the only good thing in me is you. And thank you for loving me enough to want to to be a part of my life. Dear Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, dear Lord, they need to know you. I pray that they would just ask you, dear Lord, and know that surely the fellow that created everything in this earth knows and cares and loves for them in a way that that they can't even understand, dear Lord. But I pray that, that with the drawing of your Holy Spirit, that you would just reach out and touch them if, if, uh, if they would let you, dear Lord. I pray for those of us that, that do have a relationship with you, dear Lord, that we would just remember that anything good that comes out of us is because of you. So help us just to stay so close to you that, that we don't miss what you're doing and that we are humbled enough to realize and point people that it's you. It ain't us. It's you. Help us to not let our circumstances dictate or criticize you. Help us to not, that when we are caught up in in circumstances, dear Lord, to just, to cry out to you, dear Lord. God, I look forward to what you're going to do. And thank you for letting me be a part of it. I ask all these things in your name. Amen.